sorry. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Um, Valentine's Day, huh? It's the first time in a long time. I actually got my wife a gift. We haven't done Valentine's Day like forever. And she was pretty surprised and happy. So that's good. Happy wife, right? Happy life. So um, we have a, a, just a brief announcement regarding some transition news that you may have heard about. And uh, we're going to do that um, following the service. We're, we're here to worship in singing and in prayer and through the preaching of God's word. I've, I've tried to lead that way over the years and, and we're going to keep doing that this morning and uh, Lord willing in the future as well. So let's, uh, let's uh, move into this kind of third week, third week of this sermon series on the book of Ruth. And uh, as you might remember from week one, the story began with this family uh, of Elimelech. Elimelech was the husband's name, the dad's name. This family is well established in a little town called Bethlehem in the Middle East. And when famine struck the land, the land of Bethlehem, this family is, is faced with like a life-altering choice. Should we stay in Bethlehem? Should we stay here? Even though there's a famine going on, even though we can't find food, or should we leave and search for sustenance? Well, Limelech, this husband, this father, decided to leave Bethlehem and to take his family to the land known as Moab. Now, the famine was bad, but life was about to get a whole lot uh, badder, if I can use that word, a whole lot worse for this family. Elimelech, as you know, as the story goes, dies, leaving his wife Naomi with their two sons. Now, they could have left Moab and gone back to Bethlehem at that point, but they decided to stay. It actually says in the passage that they settled in Moab. So the sons followed their father's pattern of making unwise decisions. And they decided to marry two Moabite women. Doesn't sound so bad to us, but back then it was. This was an act that was prohibited by the Old Testament law. Israelites married Israelites. That's what they did. And these two guys decided to go against the law. Well, ten years passed, as we saw a week or so ago. Ten, ten years passed. The sons died. And now you have all three women widowed. Naomi, the mom, Ruth, and Orpah, all widowed. No spouses, no way to take care of themselves in a very patriarchal culture. So rather than staying in Moab at, Moab at this point, Naomi decides it's time to go home. This is what we looked at last week. It's time to go back to Bethlehem. So they start their travels. They return to Bethlehem during their travels at Naomi's suggestion. Remember, she's pleading with both of them, go home. Go back to Moab. I don't have anything for you. You don't need to go to Bethlehem with me. Well, Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, decides to go back to Moab. And as we saw last week, Ruth didn't. She said, I am clinging 
to you. The scripture actually says, and Ruth clung to her. She clung to Naomi. I will not leave you. Your people will be my people, you remember. Your God will be my God. And Ruth actually travels all the way back to Bethlehem with Naomi. Now they're both financially and no doubt emotionally broke. As we saw last week, and we'll see even a little bit more this morning, Naomi was spiritually broke as well. For her, she hit rock bottom. Rock bottom. And that's where we're picking up the story this morning. So Ruth and Naomi are in Bethlehem. They're hungry. They're broke. Where are they going to turn What are they going to do? So let's look at the story. This is Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. I wanted to cover the whole chapter this morning, but uh, I didn't want to bore you. So uh, 13 verses this morning, and then we'll pick up the rest of chapter 2 next week. By the way, I had Mexican food last night. I don't know if you have experienced this at all. I've talked about this before with the whole mask thing, but I couldn't wait to get my mask off this morning because it smelled like a taco. So I'm glad that I'm up here with no mask and you're down there breathing in your own filth. Okay, here we go. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. That's Elimelech. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character. Now you've got to keep that in mind. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family And his name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? That sounds a little odd. I'll I'll make sense of that here in a few minutes. Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. So she happened... She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. This is an important point as well. The Lord be with you. And the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Boaz asked his servants who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? In other words, I see this woman, Ruth, in my field. Who is she? I've never seen her before. The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. Bethlehem was a small town. We live in small towns here. Everybody knows everybody's business. That's what's going on here. This harvester heard about this woman named Ruth heard about Naomi, now he's relaying the information to his boss, Boaz. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little while in the shelter. Now we've seen last week, we saw kind of uh, Ruth's character, right? She stuck by, she stuck by Naomi. Now here, we're seeing Ruth's competency. 
She is a hard worker, a laborer. She stayed in the field all day long and served. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. And don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? In other words, here's a young woman from a foreign culture in a field. Rape was a high probability. So he, he said to his harvesters, the male harvesters, if you touch her, I will hurt you. <laughs> That's what's going on here. When you are thirsty, Boaz said to Ruth, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land, and how you came to, to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, Ruth said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. I'm not an Israelite. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. God, thank you for the people in your word, like Ruth, like Naomi, like Boaz, that are real people that experience your grace and your kindness. And we pray, God, this morning that we, too, will experience your grace and your kindness. Move in our hearts and minds, Jesus, and do what only you can do. God, call us out of the pit. If we're in rock bottom right now, Maybe like Naomi was, God, pull us out by your kindness and your compassion and show us, God, that we don't need to be in the pit forever. Show us, God, that rock bottom doesn't last, but your grace, your love, and your kindness does. So Jesus, move in us and change us, we pray in your holy name. Amen. So here's where we're headed this morning. You can probably guess in some way, because I just kind of prayed it, but rock bottom isn't forever. It's kind of a weird point, but I'll make sense of that in a minute. Rock bottom isn't forever. Now, I'm sure if you've lived long enough, you've experienced the bottom. At 46 years old, I've hit rock bottom plenty of times. And I had a few stories in here to share with you, and then I yanked them out. Because you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't hit rock bottom in a while, guess what? You know it's coming. And if you've never hit rock bottom, young people, it's coming. It's like in a sinful and broken world, we will all hit rock bottom sooner or later in our lives and probably multiple times. See, if we're not careful, when we hit rock bottom... We can become so focused on what went wrong. Or we can become so focused on what got us at the bottom and we're unable to see what God is doing all around us to restore us and to restore the situations and circumstances of our lives. Isn't that true? 
When you hit rock bottom, you start blaming God. You start blaming other people. And when you're at the bottom, you don't see any hope on the horizon. And that's Naomi. You start living your life, and you know these people, and I hope none of you are these people. But you start living life with a glass half empty. You're so pessimistic. And your outlook on your life and everybody else's life and and this world is, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. That's Naomi. But you see, when, when we're living that way as Christians, we're not operating in faith. You see, as a Christian, we believe that Jesus is sovereign and he's leading us. We should believe this, right? He's leading us towards restoration. Not only in this life, but for all eternity. I mean, the Apostle Paul noted noted this. We looked at this a few months ago. I am sure of this, he wrote in Philippians 1.6. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, you ain't going to be at the bottom forever. God started a work in you, and he will complete it. Jesus will deliver you. He will raise you up. Rock bottom isn't forever. Now again, Naomi couldn't see that. And maybe you're sitting in here this morning, and you can't see that. But as I mentioned last week, with Everything that Ruth went through, that Naomi went through, that even our girl Orpah went through, at the end of chapter 1, we see a glimmer of hope, don't we? At the end of chapter 1, remember, we see God's grace move. Let me remind you. The two women arrived in Bethlehem, that's Ruth and Naomi, arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of of the barley harvest. In other words, the famine that ravished Bethlehem is over. God shows his care and his concern for his people. But even with that grace, even with returning to the land with food, Naomi continues to live her life with a glass half empty outlook. She was at rock bottom, and nothing, nothing could show her otherwise outside of a radical heart change. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You will continue to look at this world in a glass half empty outlook unless your heart is radically changed by God. Unless you are cognizant by God's grace of what he's doing in your life and in the lives of others around you. And in how he is restoring his world for his good and his glory. The writer and pastor Ian Duguid noted about this. He said, Naomi's problem is like the struggle many of us experience. In the dark night of our souls, we imagine and worry about the worst possible scenario. God doesn't promise to give us the grace to survive all the scenarios we can dream up. 
but only to give us the grace to enable us to make it through whatever He actually brings into our lives. Now, Rachel, I would love for you to leave that up there for a minute because some of y'all, all y'all, need to read that through a couple times. I did this week. Because I'm the king, just like you probably are, guys, and ladies, you're the queens as well, of worrying about the worst-case scenarios in your life. And we wonder, what if, what if, what if? And God is like, I ain't giving you grace for all the what ifs. I'm going to give you grace for the what is. See, we fill our lives with countless what ifs and worst case scenarios. Do you remember those books, by the way? They were all the rage like 20 years ago. The worst case scenario books. I mean, this is how we live our lives. Like, do I really need to worry about falling in the quicksand? Do I really need to worry about how to land a plane? When the heck am I ever going to be on a plane when it's going down and both the pilot and co-pilot go out? It ain't going to happen. So why am I filling my mind up? Why am I filling my my life up with all of this nonsense? I need to worry about where I am right now and what God is doing right now rather than projecting all of these what-ifs. See, we worry about things that will never take place in our lives. Well, what's the result? Not only do we waste time and energy, not only do you give yourself an ulcer and a headache and anxiety, you miss what God is doing right under your nose. That's what happens. We become so focused on these what-ifs and these worst-case scenarios that we miss what God is doing right in front of us. So maybe like Naomi, we're walking in fear and not faith. Maybe like Naomi, we're trying to control our lives and we haven't learned how to surrender yet. Maybe like Naomi, we hit rock bottom, but we're so focused on what's wrong that we can't see what's right the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. So Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. They're broke, lonely, and desperate, but God is moving still. And Naomi still couldn't see it. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. And he was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. And his name is Boaz, or was Boaz. What a great name, by the way. That's a, like I, when I think of the name Boaz, I think of like this powerful man. You know, I think of the next dog we get, you know, I've told you before, but, you know, Gracie is like my sidekick, my dog Gracie. And when she dies, I'm going to stuff her. I'm going to take her to taxidermy, and I'm still going to take her everywhere with me. But, but the next dog I get, I want to get a male dog because I'm outnumbered in our house, and, and I'm, I'm tired of the hen pecking and, you know, all that stuff. But anyhow, I, the next dog, his, his name's going to be Boaz because it's just a big, bad, powerful name. But anyhow... So, so Boaz kind of enters the picture here. But now you notice in verse 1, the writer of the book of Ruth, and we don't know who wrote the book, but the writer of the, of the book of Ruth kind of drops this bomb on us. Like all of a sudden, here's this guy Boaz, and then he just keeps moving on, or whoever wrote it, she keeps moving on. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep moving, and we'll come back to this guy in a minute. Now, 
Naomi's at rock bottom. We can't forget this. And as I mentioned a moment ago, Naomi and Ruth were penniless. They're famished. They're hungry. So Ruth questions Naomi. We saw this in verse 2. Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor. And Naomi, this is the first time she finally talks to her, because remember last week, they go all the way to Bethlehem, and Naomi is ignoring her. Finally, probably because she's hungry, finally, Naomi breaks the silence and says to Ruth, go ahead, my daughter. Now, this is one of those areas where it kind of should kind of cause us to pause. Why would Ruth ask Naomi, can I go out into the field and try to gather up fallen grain? It sounds kind of like an odd question or an odd request. Well, in the ancient days, the poor were allowed to enter the fields of a landowner. You could actually trespass legally. You could enter the field of a landowner, of a landowner and pick up the leftovers that were fallen behind. The Lord actually designed this kind of welfare-to-work program, believe it or not. Now listen to a few of these verses. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. In other words, the Lord is commanding his people, take care of the poor, take care of the widow. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Then the Lord, your God, God will bless you in all you do. So God actually designed this program and said, listen, if you're wealthy, if you have more than the people that are, you know what I mean by this, but below you, Take care of them. Now, this is not easy work, this kind of going behind these harvesters and picking up fallen grain. You, you've got to imagine this is hard work. They're in the Middle East. It's hot, right? And it, it, it's, it's kind of unsafe, especially for somebody like Ruth. I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but rape was a high probability. But she needed to take care of herself, and she needed to take care of her mother-in-law. So Ruth took action. Ruth took action. Now notice still, Naomi did nothing. She's still bitter, as she called herself. She's still bitter and still sitting at home. Now maybe we should give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she was too old for menial labor, but more than likely she was too depressed to exert much energy. So she all but gave up. And when you've hit rock bottom, isn't that what happens? When you are depressed, you kind of check out. We don't feel like working. We don't feel like getting out of the house. We don't feel like engaging in conversation, right? I mean, Ruth is like, hey, do you want me to go out in the field and pick up some food? And, and Naomi's like, sure. And when you're depressed and you're annoyed, you get a little terse, don't you? See, sometimes we keep ourselves at the bottom because we're unwilling to do anything about it. Most notably, surrendering and trusting in the grace, faithfulness, and love of God. That's what we should be doing. I'm in the bottom, 
Maybe I got in the bottom because of my own actions. Maybe somebody else did something stupid and I'm at the bottom. Or maybe I just live in a sinful and broken world and sometimes the bottom happens. It happens. But through it all, I'm going to trust that God is going to redeem this situation. So Ruth left Naomi. She found a field to gather leftovers, verse 3, and she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. She happened. In the Hebrew, that literally means she chance chanced. She chance chanced. So if you were to translate that passage literally, verse 3, it would read something like this. She chance chanced the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, the writer is not saying she happened on this field and it was dumb luck. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is God's sovereignty, God's providence is in this. Ruth stumbling on this field, chance chancing on this field was divinely orchestrated. God led her to this field. I realize, and I say this often, or I realize that I say this often rather, but, but here's another example of God working just in the simple things of life. Naomi's hungry. Ruth's hungry. They need food. Ruth says, I'm going to go out and search of food. She happens on a field that is owned by Elimelech, a prosperous man, a godly man, a man of character, a man of competency. She happens on this field. Oh, and, Elim- and, and I'm sorry, but uh, Boaz, by the way, is related to Elimelech. And we're going to see next week how that all figures in the things, but it's pretty phenomenal. All of this is God-directed. It's simple. It's mundane. They're hungry. They need food. She goes out and searches for food. Boom, ends up on this field that's going to radically change her life. And oh, by the way, it's going to trace us all the way to a man by the name of Jesus Christ. It's pretty phenomenal here what happens. So rock bottom isn't forever. We see that here. God is orchestrating in these simple and mundane things of life. So Ruth shows up in the field, and then Boaz then shows up as well. Why, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. This is important. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servants, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? In other words, who is she? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Now, throughout the Bible, you can test me on this, but throughout the Bible, a person's first words reveal a lot about their character. A person's first words that are dictated in Scripture show a lot about their character. So Boaz said to his servants, the Lord be with you. So the writer is communicating that Boaz is a godly man. He's a man of character and a man of substance. And not only is he a godly man, a man of character, but he's respected by his laborers, because the laborers didn't say, oh, here's Boaz. No, they're like, the Lord be with you also. The Lord bless you. Now look back at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative. I told you we'd come back to this. 
Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. And his name was Boaz. Now, I mentioned this the first week. But again, when we read Scripture, when we're studying Scripture, context is key. Do you remember when the book of Ruth took place? In the time of the Judges. Not a good time in history. The book of Judges, right? The time of the Judges is when people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we read at the end of the book of Judges, everyone did whatever seemed right in his own eyes. This is an ungodly time of history. And Boaz is standing out as a godly man. As a man of character. As a man of strength. Of prosperity. Now what can we learn from this? A lot of things. But when we're at the bottom personally, when things seem like they're at the bottom all around us, God is still working. God is still moving. Say what you want about the United States of America, and there's a lot of good and bad about our country. But God is moving. He's moving. He's moving in the northeast. He's moving in the south. He's moving out west. He's moving in the midwest. He's moving all around our country, redeeming people for his grace and his glory. Nothing is random. Nothing is by chance. And God is moving so some way, somehow, God directed Ruth's steps to enter Boaz's field. She didn't have a clue what God was doing, but God was on the move. Well, listen to Boaz's exchange. Well, following, rather, I'm sorry, following Boaz's exchange with his laborer, he approached Ruth. So he has this conversation with his laborer, his harvester, and then he approaches Ruth and he says, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. In other words, I'm going to take care of you. Don't leave my property. I've got your back. Don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? I'll break their fingers. When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. So in verse 5, Boaz called Ruth a young woman. And in verse 8, he uses the term, my daughter. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago and a little while ago as well, 3,000 years ago, patriarchy dominated the culture. But here we see Boaz is different. He didn't emphasize the social disparity between the two. She was poor. He was wealthy. She was a Moabite. He was an Israelite. Instead, he is affirming her as a woman of God, and he's elevating her standing even among the Israelites. He's not keeping her down. Well, you're a Moabite woman. You go home and get lost. No, you're a Moabite woman. You stick right by my people, and I'm going to take care of you. So as an outsider, she's protected. Now, despite what we might want to read into the story at this point, and a lot of women, sorry ladies, have done this. There is no romance in the story at this point. 
Zero. The writer makes no indication of this in the English translation or in the Hebrew. There's no relational manipulations. There's no flirting going on. None of that. Now, I'm sure if there was a movie made in our day, there'd be a whole lot of freaky-deaky stuff going on. That ain't happening. There's no sexual advances, nothing. It's a godly man caring for a family in need. That's all that's happening at this point. Relationally, we should probably kind of take notice of this. Like men, maybe we could do a better job at caring for women and widows and orphans in need. Maybe as families that have a little bit more money than those around us, maybe we can care for people in need a little bit better and walk alongside of them and help them get out of rock bottom. Well, obviously, Ruth was humbled and overwhelmed with the kindness that Boaz exhibited. And then he continues with a word of encouragement. He said, everything you have done for your mother-in-law, he's like, I've heard about it. Everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. Listen, I know my people don't like you. You're a Moabite. I'm an Israelite. We're not supposed to like you. And you came here because you're caring for your mother-in-law. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward for the Lord from the Lord your God, or from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now, do you see the statement there, Rachel? If you could leave it up a second. Do you see the statement, may you receive a full reward from the Lord? Now, when we see the word reward, we immediately think financial. But that's not what Boaz is communicating here. He's not saying you've cared for your mother-in-law and you've faithfully followed God. May he bless you financially. He's not communicating that. Contextually, what Boaz is saying is, may God bless you. And, and may his kindness and grace continue to overflow in your life. In other words, may you know God more fully for having a servant's heart. May you know God more fully for caring for your broke mother-in-law. So this has nothing to do with the reward of stuff, but the reward is knowing God more. See, as you faithfully serve God, whether you're in rock bottom or whether you're in the clouds, it's about you knowing God and experiencing God more fully than you already are. Now, this taking refuge under God's wings. I want, to, I want to finish up here in a minute. But at the end of, the, of, uh, of uh, Boaz's statement to Ruth, his encouragement to Ruth, he said, May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now, taking refuge under God's wings is a phrase littered. It is throughout the book of Psalms. And it expresses God's faithfulness. It expresses God's care for his people. That's what it means to be under God's wing. Ruth, the outsider, the Moabite, has found refuge 
in the Lord. She's broke, but she's operating in faith. She's finding refuge and care and comfort in the Lord. Are you? You know, it's been almost a year, right? With all this COVID craziness. Some of us are depressed. Some of us have fallen on hard times financially. Some of us are just just overwhelmed. We're tired of having our kids home with us. We want to lock them in the attic or the basement. It's a personal statement there. But um, have you found care and comfort under the wing of God? See, at this point in the story, Naomi hasn't. Naomi hasn't. She's at home still, wherever they were, pouting. But Ruth has. See, Naomi should know, as an Israelite, she should know, you should know as a Christian, but Naomi should know, as an Israelite, God is good, and He's gracious, and He's generous with His steadfast love. And I'm going to get through this. I'm going to make it. It's going to be okay. But for now, I'm in rock bottom. He's going to raise me up. Some of you right now this morning might be like Naomi. You've hit rock bottom and you're kind of just wallowing in your self-pity. You're wallowing in your self-centeredness. See, whether, whether at rock bottom or on top of the world, Jesus is good. Jesus is good, and not only is he good, he is faithful. He's not abandoned Ruth. He didn't abandon the glass half-empty bitter Naomi either. And he's not, and he will not abandon you either. He's faithful. God is faithful even when you're pouting. He is faithful even when you're overwhelmed with self pity and self-centeredness. He is faithful even when you are like Naomi and you are bitter. He's even faithful when you're at rock bottom because of your dumb choices. God is still faithful. He's still with you. He's faithful and we see this biblically even when you're not your God Jesus loves you and is with you through the ups and the downs of life. Every single one of them, he's with you. You've seen that in your life, haven't you? Remember that. He's carried you through. He's pulled you through every single rock bottom in your life, and he'll continue to do so. Jesus' statement in Hebrews 13.5 is simple and plain, isn't it? I will never leave you or abandon you. And he hasn't. Listen, we got to be reminded of this. Jesus left the glory of heaven. Jesus left perfection to enter into our sinful and broken rock-bottom world to save, restore, and reconcile us to himself. So if Jesus is going to live, die, and be risen for the dead for your sins, 
Don't you think he has the power, the authority, and the ability to pull you out of rock bottom? The rock bottom that you're in right now? He will raise you up. See, listen. Let me close here in a minute. I know I'm getting a little long-winded. It's okay. In the book of uh, James, I believe, James says our life here on earth is but a vapor. It's, it's but a, mit, a mist. So think about your life, right? 75, 85 years old if we're lucky. It's a vapor. It's a mist compared to eternity. Eternity. And you know the story. You know how it goes. When you die, or Lord willing, when Jesus comes back this afternoon, he's going to make all things new. There will be no more rock bottoms when you die or when he returns. A vapor, a mist. I trust and I hope you trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God that he is redeeming you and he will redeem you. Not only today, but for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and I'm going to pray and we'll sing this last song. We'll have a, a short word before we leave. So just after this last song, just stay put just for a moment if you would. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for how gracious and kind you are even when we're bitter like Naomi. Thank you for how gracious and kind you are even when we're like Ruth and we know we just have to keep pressing on even though the times and the days are hard. God, help us this morning to know and to believe that you are bringing a new heaven and a new earth. Help us to know and believe that the old heaven, the old earth will disappear, will pass away, but God, you will make all things new. This world this creation, but even our lives. I mean, you say it plain in the book of Revelation, Jesus. When you come again, you told us, I will make all things new. And all who are victorious, all who know me, will inherit these blessings. Everyone who follows me will be pulled out of rock bottom for all eternity. There will be no more lows. There will be no more death. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more evil. There will be eternity spent worshiping me in joy and gladness. So God, we pray this morning that we will see, that we will know, that we will believe how good and gracious and kind you are. God, move in us, change us, and make everything new in and through us, we pray in your name. Amen.